Chapter Twelve of the Sorcery Club by Elliot O'Donnell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Don W. Jenkins. Chapter Twelve: The Great Challenge. When John Martin came into tea that afternoon, he gave Gladys a shock. Despite the fact that he had been in the sun all day and was much tanned in consequence, he had never looked so Gladys thought so old and haggard you dear old daddy she said hastening to pour him out some tea you shouldn't work so hard this silly digging has quite knocked you up haven't you finished yes i've finished john martin said catching his breath i found water nonsense it's true all the same we struck it at exactly the distance he said twenty feet and of course he knew how how in the deuce could he have known i can't say gladys replied all i know is that he's not straight and that there's some underhand trickery going on but do have your tea now and dismiss it from your mind anyhow he can do you no harm here's a letter for you john mrs templeton exclaimed entering the room at that moment john martin took it from her and tore open the envelope curiously it was a handwriting he did not know and did not like its characteristics were sinister i knew it he cried i knew the fellow was a scoundrel what the deuce do you think he has the impertinence to do now he gladys said looking anxiously at her father whoever do you mean why that confounded young bounder who came here last night leon hamar he signs himself in this letter he declares that he can perform any of our tricks and will accept the wager i offered for their solution some little time ago he also says that unless i consent to see him and to listen courteously to what he has to say he will publicly announce his intention of taking up the wager at our hall in kingsway to-night do you think there is any possibility of his having discovered the secrets of your tricks gladys asked could he have bribed anyone to tell him i don't think so john martin said the only people who have any clue as to how they are done are my two attendants both as you know natives of cashmere and men who i feel pretty certain could not be got at in that case gladys remarked i fail to see what there is to worry about your course is perfectly clear take no notice of it john martin was silent dazed he did not know what to think or do there was something painfully ominous to him in the discovery of the money and the water something that accentuated the impression hamar's sinister experience had made on him the man did not look ordinary his manner gestures walk and expression were decidedly abnormal in fact they put him in mind of the superphysical the superphysical might not that account for his knowledge bah there was no such thing as the superphysical the man was extraordinary but after all only a man his knowledge only that of a man and it must be as the shrewd gladys conjectured he had put the money in the tree himself and had learned the presence of water through some subtle artifice perhaps only guessed at it he would defy him let him do what he would this was john martin's decision as he finished tea an hour later he had changed his mind and was speaking to hamar on the telephone expressing his willingness to grant him a brief interview if he came at once in rather less than an hour a motor drew up at the martin's door and hamar stepped out of it 
glad to find you in a more tractable mood mr martin he exclaimed on being ushered into the latter's presence i reckoned you would sing to a different tune when you found that water would you like me to give you a few more samples of my skill before we proceed to business name your business at once john martin replied gruffly i haven't many minutes to spare no hamar said that's a pity because part of what i have at the back of my brain may take more than a few minutes arranging the situation in a nutshell is this you have a pretty daughter mr martin how dare you sir john martin broke in clenching his fist gently gently mr martin hamar observed backing towards the door gently you promised to give me a courteous hearing i meant no offence i say i admire your daughter immensely she takes the shine out of our american girls the deuce she does john martin foamed she does you bet hamar went on and i see no reason if she likes me why we couldn't get engaged i would do the thing handsomely as far as money goes what do you say i say that unless you're very careful i shall break my promise and kick you i would pay you a big lump sum to take me into partnership hamar went on complacently and i would introduce a number of new tricks that would stagger creation i shouldn't be in any hurry to marry the length of the engagement would be for you to decide then it would be ad infinitum john martin said grimly for you'll never get my consent to a marriage never is a long day and even a john martin may change you want new blood and new capital in your firm you would have both in me i assure you your show would boom as it has never boomed before and the only condition on which you offer me all this is my daughter you have said it that is the one and only condition your daughter my brains my dollars i have decided john martin said good hamar exclaimed i guessed you would there's nothing like the almighty dollar is there yes john martin rejoined the almighty fist and that's what you'll get if you don't clear out of this house instantly and if you ever come skulking round here again or write me any more letters i'll set my solicitor on to you then it's war war to the knife hamar sneered how melodramatic but it won't last long i shall yet be your partner and i shall yet have miss gladys au revoir i won't say good-bye and with a mock bow he hurriedly took his departure that night messieurs martin and davenport's entertainment had progressed as usual for about half an hour when it suddenly came to a full stop a man in the lowest tier of boxes had risen and was addressing the audience in a loud voice ladies and gentlemen in an instant all heads swung round and there were stentorian shouts of silence but curtis for it was he was not easily daunted do you call this fair play he demanded i am here to-night to make a sporting offer and one which will afford you vast entertainment cries of shut up silence he's drunk turn him out merging into one loud roar forced him to pause several uniformed officials now invaded the box but hamar who as well as kelson was with curtis fixing them with his big dark eyes that gleamed eerily in the half-lowered lights of the house for the stage only at that moment was fully illuminated held them in check and they hung back not knowing what to do this move of hamar's took with a large section of the audience some of whom were possessed with sporting instincts whilst others were merely curious and the somewhat premature cries of turn him out etc were soon lost in and vociferous shouts of let them alone 
let them speak let us hear what they have to say it was in the midst of this hubbub that john martin in a great state of nervous agitation came to the front of the stage and inquired the cause of the commotion the shouting still continued and gladys who had come to the performance anticipating something of the sort called to her father from the wings bidding him give curtis permission to speak you will lose all sympathy if you don't father she added and besides you have nothing to fear it's sheer bravado and impudence on their part thus advised for gladys was a level-headed girl john martin gave in and the audience showed their approval by a vigorous round of clapping i wish i were spokesman kelson said his eyes glistening at the sight of so many pretty upturned faces go on old man he said giving curtis a nudge fire away and show them you know a bit about elocution for the credit of the firm curtis needed no encouragement what little bashfulness he had once possessed he had certainly left behind in san francisco for he leaned over the front of the box and smiled familiarly at the audience i am edward curtis he said one of the directors of the modern sorcery company limited monsieurs martin and davenport have so often boasted that no one outside of their firm can perform their tricks that i have come here to-night resolved to disillusion them i not only accept their offer of ten thousand pounds for the solution of their tricks but i agree to pay them double that amount cash down if i do not do everything they do from the brass coffin to their world-famed pumpkin puzzle with messrs martin and davenport's permission i will explain one and all of their tricks to you to-night and the only thing i ask of you ladies and gentlemen is to see that i get fair play a spontaneous outburst of clapping followed his speech and as soon as it had ceased one of the audience who had risen and was waiting to speak said i trust messrs martin and davenport will accept this challenge and allow the modern sorcery company the opportunity here in this hall to-night of displaying their skill or their ignorance as the case may be if messrs martin and davenport's tricks cannot be performed by any outsider the firm in accepting this challenge will be twenty thousand pounds the richer and if as is hardly likely messrs martin and davenport should be outwitted i am sure they themselves will be amongst the first to congratulate their successful rivals i for one am quite ready to act as referee i too shouted a dozen other voices be a sport and accept his bet ladies and gentlemen john martin replied with dignity you have given me no alternative i accept the challenge perhaps those who have so kindly volunteered to act as referees will see that order is maintained whilst i go on with my performance at the conclusion of which mr curtis i think that is the name of my rival will be quite at liberty to try his exposition of my tricks the performance then proceeded and when it was over curtis hamar and kelson accompanied by six of those of the audience who had volunteered to act as referees stepped on to the stage seats were provided for the referees three on the one side of the stage and three on the other and having seen that everything was fair and square john martin retired to the o p wing behind which gladys was concealed a brief description of the brass coffin trick which was the first messrs hamar curtis and kelson proceeded to explain will perhaps suffice a massively constructed brass-bound coffin is handed round to the audience who carefully examine it and being unable to discover anything amiss pronounce themselves satisfied that it is genuine 
the operator then summons an assistant jokingly refers to him as the corpse puts him into a sack made to represent a winding sheet securely binds the sack with a piece of cord and asks one of the audience to seal it the sack and its contents are then placed in the coffin which is locked and corded the operator then throws a sheet over the coffin lets it remain there for a few seconds and on removing it and opening the lid the coffin is found to be empty a shout from the front of the house makes everyone turn round when to their amazement the corpse is seen standing up at the back of the pit holding the sack with the rope and seal intact in his hand such was the marvellous feat which had been accomplished in martin and davenport's hall night in and night out for years the solution of which no one as yet had been able to discover one can imagine in these circumstances the tremendous excitement of the audience at the prospect of seeing this notorious puzzle tackled and tackled by a member of a firm which was already reputed to be doing all kinds of weird and extraordinary things but whereas it was quite obvious that john martin was greatly perturbed his eyebrows were working nervously and his lips and fingers twitching curtis on the other hand was as cool as possible he literally did not turn a hair now gentlemen he said turning to the referees keep your eyes well skinned and observe everything i do ladies and gentlemen he went on raising his voice i am now about to show you how the coffin trick is done observe me i'm the corpse mr kelson here is the operator and matt kelson rather to hamar's annoyance advanced down the stage to take part in the proceedings watch me get into the sack he stepped into it as he spoke look at what i have in my hand he went on holding up his right hand in full view of the audience i have a plug of wood covered with the same material as this sack as soon as i stoop down and the sack is pulled over me i shall thrust this plug into the mouth of it and mr kelson will bind the sack round it i shall then be put into the coffin you think you know this coffin but you don't see and stepping out of the sack he tapped the head of the coffin which was very broad and deep come closer and he beckoned to the referees whose numbers were now augmented by three newspaper reporters representatives of the daily snapper the planet and the hooter respectively here is a secret panel worked by a spring i will press and you will press too and amidst a breathless silence the nine members of the audience on the stage following every movement curtis put his hand inside the head of the coffin and touched a very slight elevation in the wood in an instant by a wonderfully neat piece of mechanism a panel slid back leaving just sufficient room for a man of moderate dimensions to squeeze through everyone now looked at john martin he was leaning back in his chair breathing hard his eyes starting out of his head his cheeks white hamar saw him and grinned grinned malevolently but the smile died out of his face when he glanced at gladys the scorn in the girl's eyes made his blood boil all right miss martin he muttered between his teeth you adopt that attitude now but you will adopt a very different one later on i'll win you body and soul or my name is not what it is he was interrupted in this amiable reflection by curtis i'm too stout to play the role of the corpse and so is matt curtis said to him you must undertake that part now he went on take this plug and get into the sack and he whispered a few instructions in his ears then he tied the top of the sack in reality tying it round the plug hamar was holding and one of the audience sealed the knot 
curtis and kelson then lifted hamar into the coffin shut the lid and corded it then curtis turning to the audience said what is now happening inside the coffin is this the corpse pulls the plug out of the mouth of the sack from the inside the cord thus becomes loose and the corpse is able to open the sack he at once touches the spring i pointed out to you in the head of the coffin and the panel slides back so and as the audience looked they saw the panel slide back and first all of hamar's head and then his body wriggle through the aperture thus made the reason why you audience cannot see him make his escape is this curtis explained the head of the coffin is always turned away from you and placed against a mirror which you can't see and which to you appears but the continuation of the stage in this mirror exactly opposite the head of the coffin is an aperture and it is through this the corpse makes his exit to the back of the stage i will show it you here it is and beckoning to the referees to come quite close he pointed to a glass screen in the centre of the base of which was a glass trap-door corresponding in height and girth to the head of the coffin here corpse curtis said crawl through and hamar looking as if he by no means appreciated the undignified task of wriggling on his stomach before so many eyes drew himself as tight together as he could and squirmed through does that satisfy you gentlemen curtis inquired perfectly the referees answered nothing would be plainer we see exactly now how the trick is done at this there was a loud outburst of clapping and curtis bowed in the elegant manner in which he had been patiently and assiduously coached by kelson he then proceeded to the second trick eve at the window a trick almost if not quite as famous as the brass coffin and for the solution of which martin and davenport had frequently offered huge sums of money a large pane of glass some six by nine feet in area and set in a frame made to represent that of a window is placed on the stage about eighteen inches from the floor thirty-six inches from the ground a wooden shelf is placed against the window an assistant usually a woman then mounts on the shelf and looking out of the glass proceeds to kiss her hand vigorously the operator in a shocked voice asks her to desist she refuses and to the amusement of the audience carries on her pantomimic flirtation more desperately than before the operator pretends to lose his temper and snatching up a screen places it at the back of her he then fires a pistol pulls aside the screen and she has vanished as the top bottom and sides of the window all in fact except the very middle have been in full view of the audience and as the window has been tightly closed all the time the disappearance of the girl completely mystifies the audience curtis explained it all he pointed out that the keynote to the illusion lay behind the wooden shelf which was so placed as to conceal the fact that the lower part of the window was made double the bottom of the upper part being concealed from view by a second sheet of silvered glass placed in front of it the shelf covers the line of junction and enables the window frame to be scrutinized by the audience as soon as the screen is put in front of the lady on the shelf the glass pane slides up about a foot and a half into the top of the frame purposely made very deep the bottom of the window is cut away in the middle leaving an aperture about two feet square which was previously hidden from view by the double glass at the base eve makes her exit through this hole and slides on to a board placed behind the window in readiness for her 
the pane of glass then slides down again the screen is removed and the window appears just as solid as before when curtis concluded his verbal explanation he gave the audience a practical illustration of how the thing was done he manipulated the screen and pistol whilst hamar posed as eve and directly he had finished there was another outburst of applause kelson dared not look at john martin or gladys the brief glance he had taken of them at the conclusion of the giving away of the first trick had shocked him and he purposely stood with his back to them with hamar it was otherwise the joy of triumph was strong within him and the picture of john martin leaning forward in his chair with his mouth half open and a dazed glassy expression in his eyes only thrilled him with pleasure he laughed at the old man and still more at gladys that's the way to treat a girl of that sort he whispered to kelson scoff at her scoff at her well let her see you don't care a snap for her in the end she'll run after you and haunt you to death i'm not so sure kelson said it might act in some cases perhaps but i don't think you can quite depend on it pooh you are no judge of women in spite of all your experience hamar retorted i'll bet you anything you like she'll come round and make a tremendous fuss of me supposing you fall in love with her how about the compact kelson asked you've warned me often enough oh but i'm not like you hamar replied there's nothing soft in my nature i fall in love not much why you might as well have apprehensions of my joining the salvation army or wanting to become a militant suffragette either would be just about as possible no i shall make the girl love me and we shall be engaged for just as long as i please if i find someone that attracts me more i shall throw her aside if not maybe i shall marry her but in either case there will be no question of love at least not on my part she shall do as i want that is all hello curtis is beginning again there were five other tricks on the program all of which were world-renowned they were the floating head the mango seed the haunted bathing machine the girl with the five eyes and the vanishing bicycle illusion as with the first two tricks so curtis did with the following five he explained them and then aided by hamar and kelson gave practical demonstrations of their solutions and so thoroughly and clearly were these solutions demonstrated that the referees asked no questions they were absolutely satisfied turning to the audience at a sign from curtis they announced that the whole of messieurs martin and davenport's tricks had been solved to their entire satisfaction and that messieurs hamar curtis and kelson of the modern sorcery company limited had without doubt won the wager have you anything to say curtis asked addressing john martin i acknowledge my defeat though i do not understand it john martin said with very white lips i shall pay you the ten thousand pounds to-night not worry about that hamar interposed we don't want to take your money all we wanted to do was prove to you we could perform the tricks you believed to be insoluble ladies and gentlemen he went on raising his voice the modern sorcery company limited has given you some proof to-night of their capabilities in the conjuring line and if you will give us the pleasure of your company to-morrow night we invite you all free of charge for the occasion we will give you a still further demonstration of our powers may we count upon your patronage 
a terrific storm of clapping was the reply and as the audience slowly filed from the hall john martin staggered into the wing reeled past gladys ere she could catch him and sank helplessly on to the floor end of chapter twelve read by don w jenkins rancho san diego california